Il y a un barème quand tu laisses un corps, c'est-à-dire tu fais trois fois son poids, normalement un homme moyen comme cette victime-ci, c'est trois fois son poids. Mais sinon, par exemple, ça change, hein. tu as pour les enfants, pour les nains, ça change pour un enfant, c'est... Il est plus léger, un enfant, hein. c'est deux fois son poids, c'est quatre fois son poids. Comment Non, non, parfois, par exemple, pour les nains, c'est une fois son poids, c'est beaucoup plus lourd, hein. les os sont beaucoup plus lourds chez un nain, donc c'est une fois le poids. Une vieille dame, par exemple, ou un vieil homme, cinq fois le poids, les os sont poreux déjà. Hein. L'amour, elle laisse comme une traînée de soufre derrière lui, comme une odeur qui traîne. Et que malgré tout, dès que tu rencontres quelqu'un, tu sens, un peu comme quand tu vas pisser et que tu sens tes doigts. Alors, zoom sur ta machine. Tu vois, généralement, au début de mois, je me paye un petit facture. Hein. Je me lève le matin et je prends un matinée pour récolter les pensions. Ce qui me permet, par la même occasion, tu vois, de de repérer les, les vieux qui ont de l'argent. Hein. Nous sommes une équipe de télévision oui. et nous effectuons un reportage sur les vieilles personnes et la solitude oui. dans les grandes cités. Oui. Auriez-vous l'obligeance de répondre à quelques questions, s'il vous plaît oui, Je veux bien. Ça va être un peu ta lumière. Yeah, how about me Yeah, you're coming through five by five, baby king. It's like, both, yeah, both of our waves are looking, looking sharp. Sharp, looking pretty tasty. Yeah. Looking sharp. I was going to ask you, I kept, sorry, I kept second guessing myself. Uh, I kept like thinking, oh, I hope I'm watching the right movie that <laughs> we had said we were going to watch because it had been a while since we had signed off the last time. Yeah. So it was Man Bites Dog, right? Uh, you watched Wag the Dog with Dustin Hoffman, right? <laughs> That's what I was worried like I was going to do. I was going to watch like Wag the Dog or <laughs> uh, uh yes, I've Man, seen, I, man I, Bites Dog. Yeah, Man Bites Dog, the Belgian movie. Yeah. Yeah, which I like. But I just wanted to make sure that it was the same one. Yeah. Sure. So, uh <clears throat> I think we should probably talk about our themed topic for the month a little bit as the preamble. Yeah, just, I mean, just, we're, just touch on it. We're recording right now, so mm -hmm. I just I wanted to get a little, I wanted to get a little of the uh, the discussion. The I like to I'm trying to you know add a little uh, a little loosen it up, add, add a little looseness. Yeah. Yeah, get a, get a little, little casualness. Get get a little airy about it. A little fast and loose. I will say this also. Um, I have to apologize. I've been a little under the weather. I got sick like a few weeks ago, and I thought I was getting over it, and then it like kind of metamorphosed into something else. So it's just been this continual like up and down cold thing going on. Yeah, so I sound a little stuffy. Oh, you sound pretty much like you always sound, like a broadcaster. All right. All right. Well, that's good. At least if you don't notice it, then the listeners will be none the wiser. None the wiser. So anyways, yeah, um, let's talk about our theme here. Uh, if you're joining us right now, folks, this is Midnight Flicks, podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. Uh, I am, uh, your host, 
one of your hosts, Adam Walker. And joining me as always is Cinema. 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 I don't speak French, so I can't do the rest of the song, but Cinema. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So we're we're trying to do this the themed block things here. Now we trying did just enough. come off the gruesome twosome <coughs> excuse me block that we did for Footstober. Yeah. But this is a this is not um a Halloween specific theme um block. This is just we're just we're trying some new stuff here. We're gonna do a block of movies all revolving around some concept, some theme, some unifying central, idea. A central premise, right? Central premise. And this is your idea for this particular block with your yeah. movie. Right. So go ahead. Why don't you let us know what are we getting into here, Brandon? Uh, Cinema. Yeah. Cinema. So uh, I think it's important to kind of unpack this specific theme a little bit more because I was talking to Krista uh, about this earlier and she's like, I don't even know. I don't, I don't wouldn't qualify this movie as what you would qualify it as. So let me unpack what I'm talking about here. The theme uh, for this month or this block of movies is like uh, self implosion stories, right? Uh, stories where typically the main character ends up dying due to their deeds, their behaviors, um, their kind of like rigidness, um, characters that are taking a one-way ticket, one-way ride as they, you know, and they know it types of stories. Um, these are some of my favorite types of stories. Uh, they usually are extremely seedy. Um, you know, like something that qualifies for me that's contemporary for a self-implosion story would be like Uncut Gems, right? Yes, San I agree. Sandler's character, he is just a compulsive um, gambler, uh, you know, jewels, right. hustler or whatever. Can't help yeah, he himself. Has a, he's a, he has an addictive personality. Right. ultimately he, leads to his undoing. He cannot he, satisfy his need to do this thing that is toxic and is unhealthy sure. and destroys all of his relationships as well as himself. Yeah. So, yeah. It's like a um, an abandoning of one's life through your actions voluntarily. Right. Compulsively. And, okay, so that's funny that you mentioned the thing that Krista said because I actually was going to have a little discussion with you also because I wasn't really sure if this movie fit that theme the way I was thinking of it. So I'm glad that you're clarifying. Right. Here. So <clears throat> we'll get into uh, we're going to be talking about. Um, <coughs> Barry Livinson's 1997 Wag the Dog. Wag Just the dog. kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. No, we're talking about um, 1992 Man Bites Dog. Now, I'm not 
Belgium. I'm not French, so I'll probably butcher everybody's name here. Uh, the three main actors are actually the ones credited for directing. Uh, I guess you'd say it, Remy Belvoir. Is that how you'd say right. it? Yeah. Uh, Andre Bonzet. Yeah. I would say Remy Belvoir. Yeah. Belvoir. Right. Uh, Andre Bonzel and Benoit Polivorde. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this movie was a NC-17 film, so I'm sure it wasn't shown really anywhere in the States till much later. Maybe it played on HBO or something like that when it came out. I don't know. But um, the budget, according to IMDb, was $1 million and uh, this doesn't seem right to me, but it says the gross was just north of two hundred and five thousand. Right, seemed- but that was also saying one million Belgian That's, whatever. Well, right. I mean, I so relative to U.S. You know, dollars at the time. U.S. dollars. I'm sure it's sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it's it's a pretty like. <laughs> Gorilla low budget film. Um, and it's not of my, you know, nationality or anything. So I can't really speak too much beyond what IMDb tells me. Um, so is that uh, general synopsis of the movie from my point of view, a radical film crew documents the daily deeds of an eccentric and jovial psychopath as he murders gratuitously among a common folk in France. As the body count rises, so does their arrogance, which will be their downfall. Now, right. this film, what Krista was talking about, and it, she doesn't see it as a self-implosion story. I see it as a self-implosion story completely, but not just the main character, Ben, the, the murderer that is being followed yeah. around. More so the film crew who right. decides to sign on with this guy. I mean, yeah, you know, you, you see about like Vice Magazine does this shit all the time. That they'll follow like some drug dealer or something in some article. You know, they'll get into some pretty um, touch and go situations sometimes, you know, investigative yeah. journalist kind of thing. But this is different. These guys are actively participating in rape and murder with this killer. Now, my question is that leads it to being a self-implosion story to me is how did they see foresee any other outcome? You know, they must have known that the, that you are getting into something that you cannot walk out of in any way. Yeah. I mean, the guy either is going to kill you in the end or you will be killed or incarcerated for what you're doing. Right. Right. You'd have to know that. So, yeah. And upon them coming into this killer's life that we know has at least been killing um, consecutively for five years, because he says, you know, in five years, um, this is the third child I had to kill during a certain scene in the movie. <clears throat> he hasn't been caught. So once these guys come in, everything starts to unravel. His his 
hubris when uh, when Ben kills this you know rival gangster or something. Um, and the, and his family is getting these death warnings and stuff in the mail. It's like I wouldn't worry about it. It's just a warning. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you you know that this shit's coming apart at that point. You know, you could leave. Yeah. You could leave. You could abandon your life. You could leave town. Whatever. You don't. You just keep pushing on. A lot of these self implosion stories actually are based in hubris and and like just arrogance, pride. And you're just thinking you're invincible, you know, and um, that eventually kills these motherfuckers. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you also take into account not just um, Ben being uh, the individual that is kind of self-imploding, when you take into account that he's taking all these other people along with him or as you were saying, like, film crew gets more actively participant right. because at first they're not, they're just, they're not, they're, they, they seem kind of disgusted. Like after he kills right. the old woman in the, in the high rise, like, well, yeah. yeah, I don't know if I want to go hang out, but then they, right. they do, they do end up hanging out with him, but it's like, okay, they feel somewhat maybe intimidated that, you know, they have to hang out with him. They have to participate because throughout Remy, the director in, in fact, the director, but also acts as the director of the movie. Right. Uh, the real looks, and fictitious. Yes. Fictitious right. director of the movie. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he looks disgusted in all of his acts, but he's doing them probably out of fear. Um, but he also put himself there. You know, he right. made his bed. That's that is the core. That is like the core focal point of a self implosion story to me. Your deeds that you knew well and good, the the outcome of you you chanced fate. You you rolled the dice to see if maybe if it would go the other way. You made your bed. Now through this film, we will see you. You know, dying in that bed essentially. Yeah. Uh, so this movie, I think, uh, as of now, uh, is is in my top maybe three exploitation films. Um, I would call it an exploitation film, um, but it, it's kind of a like a introduction to the genre to me, as in knowing that it was a genre. I can remember specifically where I was. And how old I was when I watched it. It's that kind of thing. Um, you know, I watched yeah. this around the time of Cannibal Holocaust and Necromantic movies like this, you know, where it's right. like, I, I, I'm cutting my teeth on this type of hardcore cinema where you go, I don't even know if this is legal, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, so this movie resonates with me quite a lot like my wife you know she's she's like yeah that's one of those one time watch movies for me kind of like requiem for a dream for her it's like okay it's a good movie i watched it for what it is it's great but i don't need to watch it again <laughs> uh that's yeah i have some things to say about that once we get more into the discussion sure um the one thing um 
to comment on your perception that this is an exploitation film. Yes, I think the difference is that distinguishes this movie from, say, something like Cannibal Holocaust or Necromantics is this movie in a lot of ways, either by its creators or over time, is one of those movies where I think it got more accepted into the world of art house cinema. Mm. It has that feeling to it. It has it has this, even though it's like it's a low budget movie that's about murder and about a serial killer, it definitely has that highbrow art house feel to it. I mean, it's a Criterion Collection movie. Criterion Collection, and it's actually billed as a dark comedy. Right. Which I feel it is. Yeah, I mean, there's there's parts that I laugh at, but there's also parts that I are just like disgusting to me. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, so yeah. much so that upon the first viewing of this film, I think I was just really shocked by it. I mean, it, it really helps the uh, that it's in black and white too, because you can yeah. hide a lot of things. Um, but it's just. Uh, it's just really unhinged. Um, and um, it's, it's just, it's like a very crass movie. But I would suppose if you're following around a career murderer, that's what it would be like. <laughs> you know? Well, that being said, um, before we get into the good, the bad, and the questionable, I just wanted to also state that I really enjoy this movie a lot, but this is. Only my second viewing. Oh. I actually just watched this movie for the first time not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I thought it was interesting that you picked it because uh, it had been one of those movies that I, I knew being what I like, I had to watch. Yeah. And uh, I finally got around to it. So um, this is still a relatively fresh movie to me. Yeah. That hasn't been thoroughly analyzed over and over again. Yeah. Um, even while I was watching it this time, I'm I'm trying to, and for this, for the purpose of the discussion, obviously is I'm trying to parse out in my brain, like what is this movie trying to say exactly? <laughs> yeah. What is the commentary it's trying to make? Well, you know? I, this is one of these movies. So I don't know if, I don't even know if you can do this anymore, but, <clears throat> um, when I was younger, I had a PlayStation 2. I think PlayStation 2 played DVDs. I had the DVD I borrowed from somebody, and I had it hooked up in a way through my VCR that I could record DVDs to tapes. Right. So this was a movie that I had recorded along with Cannibal Holocaust and maybe not Necromantic, but like Come and See other Oh, Salo was one of them. Shocking movies that I would just have to show weird horror people that I knew. And over yeah. the years, I've watched this countless times. Um, yeah. So, but I've never really thought about what it's trying to say. And I think that maybe that's, maybe that's something that I like about it is that it's much like music that I like, like specifically like hardcore music or something. 
<clears throat> when it doesn't sound like it's politically motivated in any way, it's just capturing a snapshot of a day in the life of this type of person. That's what it feels mm. like to me. It doesn't really feel like it has any kind of like as artsy as it is, like you said, like an art house movie. It's like highbrow, you know, higher thinking. It seems like there's more themes going on than 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 maybe there is. To me, it just seems like, yep, this is what happened. Or they're trying to they're it's a they're trying to play it off like it's documentary, like it's a real thing. But you know, it's not. It's a movie. But this is just what it is, and that's it. Just over. No resolve, no greater um, inferences to draw from or anything. Yeah. It's just something no that happened. No lessons learned. No lessons learned. I mean, <laughs> it, the, the, the alternate title for this movie, I believe, is It Happened in Your Neighborhood. Or It, it yeah. Happened, direct English translation it, it happened was, close to your home exactly right yeah so it's like yeah a day in the life of a fucking murderer now everywhere that it reads as he's a serial killer i don't know that that's accurate i mean his motive is money he goes about it throughout that's how he makes money he yeah. knocks off a postman he finds out where the old fucking fat cats are and then he tries to murder them and take their money I don't really know that he has a you know modus operandi that that compels him to kill beyond just affording his lifestyle and I guess yeah so I don't really know if I'd classify him as a serial killer yeah Um, well that being said Let's get into the good, the bad, and the questionable. Starting with the good, while we were having that discussion there at the end about what the uh, what was the point of this movie, what are they trying to say? And we were talking about like at the end of it, and you're evaluating it, and you're seeing what happens, and you're you're thinking to yourself. There's no lessons learned. There's nothing to be gleaned from this. There's like a nihilism to it. There was something specifically in my head that I was saying, like, what does that remind me of? And I thought of it, and you might agree, because it's very similar in terms of that sort of feeling you get or what the movie is trying to express, if there is anything. But American Psycho. Sure. It's a similar. I feel like there's a lot of parallels to this movie in that. Yeah, there is. I mean, just take just take the main characters, for example. They like to think of themselves as, as these like eccentric, high-minded connoisseurs of their craft and, you know, the finer things in life. And really, right. they're just complete narcissistic psychopaths. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, just because you can have like some taste in music or poetry or something, uh, it doesn't mean anything about the judgment quality of your, you know, um, your humanistic qualities. <laughs> this dude is completely ruthless and heartless to, to anyone. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a real sh- he's a real shitbag. 
Yeah, I mean... Because it's like, not only is he a ruthless killer, he's racist. Very he's racist. He's yeah. racist, he's homophobic, he's sexist. He very, very obviously expresses opinions that, you know, we're all... <laughs> right, um, which reminds me, we cannot forget our sponsor. I did not forget about our sponsor. I should have asked earlier, so I know it's we're kind of jumbling things up here i actually meant to ask you before we even got on the mic sure well hey we have a sponsor tonight of course we have a sponsor i mean we're talking about a movie from across the pond okay well yeah before we get any deeper how could i forget but not forget at the same time our wonderful sponsor for this evening uh yeah well exactly i mean how could you ever forget Six Gun Benny's Feel Good Honky Water, made from local canal spring water. When your favorite body disposal quarry dries up, tip back a Six Gun Benny's and you won't care about life in prison. The shame of being a racist, homophobe, rapist, and suffocator of children. You won't even care that you're the target of a vengeful and vicious rival murderer. Thank you so much. Now, I got to say, in the fine print, that is canal spring water, but it doesn't mean that it's spring water. It means that it's from the canal filtered in in the spring months. I just had to add that disclaimer there. Well, thank you. As I always say every episode, we couldn't do this without our sponsors. Every week they keep they keep the pro they keep the gears turning they keep the wheels moving here right. at Midnight Flicks and having this international support you know it really helps I mean well I, I mean I'm drinking Lake I'm drinking Le Croix honky water yeah. made here I mean, in in America but I got to get no me Benny's, some help. it's no Benny Six Gun or whatever yeah. <laughs> it's no it's no Six Gun Bennies. There are, uh, yeah, there, there, there are many imitators. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, we do have listeners across the pond. Uh, there you go. I don't have the metrics here in front of me. Actually, I don't want to get too off subject here also, but I wanted to bring this up uh, because, you know, I, I can go in and I can see the metrics. I see the analytics of uh, what's going on with the podcast. And, you know, as I've stated many times before, for whatever reason, I know we have plenty of listeners, but no one ever emails us. Yeah. I don't know why. Would be nice to hear from you. Sure. Uh, Midnightflixpod at gmail.com. Anyways, maybe it's because it's at the end of the show. Here you go. Here's your opportunity to redeem yourself. Point I'm trying to make is somewhere right before Thanksgiving, there was a spike in listening to our very, very first uh, episode on The Running Man. Hmm. A very, very large spike. Yeah. I don't know what happened, but... Maybe something in, people... in popular, you know, cinema hot topics that surround that movie. Yeah, I don't know. But anyways, so that was the thing that happened. That's going to get our million listenership when somebody from one of these movies fucking explodes themselves in a public place or, you know, <laughs> says something crass to the president's wife or something, then whammo, right. our podcast yep. goes up. The hash, the hashtags just light up. 
Yeah, because you know it's going to be the quiet weirdos that make these fucking movies no one cares about. <laughs> They're the ones that are just going to fucking go off somewhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to what we were saying, there's specifically, there is that that um, monologue that Patrick Bateman has at the end of American Psycho when after he's confessed to his lawyer and he's like having complete meltdown. Sure. And he, you know, he wants to rid himself of this burden that this curse. Yeah. And he goes to talk to his lawyer at that party and the lawyer, he's just like, for one, he's confusing him. Like, you know, that's the whole, one of the, you know, themes of the movie is sure. they're all kind of interchangeable guys. Yeah. So his lawyer is confusing him with someone else. He's confusing him with Paul Allen or whatever. And at the end, like Patrick Bateman realizes that even though he wants to escape, he can't. There's no, there's nothing that he's learned. There's no escape from this hell or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, the the thing that you have to question with a story like American Psycho is what is reality? I mean, is right. any of this even happening? Where in this story, right. it is it is very um, much indicated that this is happening. There's no right. you know, there's no confusion about that. Um, but yeah, the two characters are you could interchange them for each other. Yeah. And it would be, you know, the movie would go on just, just like nothing ever happened. Um, and and that brings me to say one of my goods right up the top is this has a very authentic feel. It yeah. does feel like an actual documentary. Yeah, I agree. This actually all happened in real time, was all uh, recorded and documented. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really like the obviously the the production choice and and shooting it in black and white on film having an actual sound person those those moments where like in the factory where the uh, Patrick the sound guy gets killed and then sound yeah. just goes out until it, the other person picks up the sound gear and it comes back you know that kind of stuff it made it feel really real the the choppiness of the the ideas and the dialogue they're talking about one thing and then something totally cuts them off or the camera just starts and he's in the middle of conversation about something fucked up or not. Maybe he's about a poem, whatever. All of that definitely makes it feel authentic. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, that's, that's really good. I mean, the first time I watched this, I, you know, I was convinced because when I watched, you know, I didn't know anything about IMDB and I don't even think that sh- was around. Um, so I had nothing to gauge off of. I mean, it's a Belgian movie. I'd never seen these guys in anything else. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, it seems very real. Um, yeah. And it, and it, it's convincing. It's a convincing um, portrayal of how somebody like Ben, if he was a real murderer, right. criminal, yeah, would actually act. Yeah, and it gets, this movie gets comparisons to. Um, there's a movie called Angst, which is a German movie, uh-huh. very similar, where it does a really good job of showing 
what would happen if a serial killer was um, let out of prison to go into the in the world free and what they would probably almost immediately do if they were a psychopath. They would immediately go back to murdering people and it would right. be sloppy and it would be completely off the cuff in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, the, the authenticity transfers over into the violence heavily for me, like that first scene, right. Very first scene where he strangles that woman on the, on the, um, sub on the train. Yeah. I mean, that just sets the stage for everything that's to come, you know? Right horrible i mean it's it's like you're watching something on live leak or something um yeah and then the next scene is him talking about how to ballast a corpse and he's just chucking it off the fucking train bridge into the trestle right. into the canal in broad daylight in broad daylight i mean <laughs> the the fucking yeah, the hubris of this guy to just shoot people in the streets when it starts showing that gun violence montage, that that's a big yeah. good for me when he's talking yeah. to he's talking to the kids and he's like, "Wow, these little gadgets are very real. They're just like mine." And it, you know, little kid <laughs> the way that that is edited, the little kid points at him and then it just shows him blowing people away. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking well, it's gross. And that's the thing. That's where, you know, you have to wonder when it's when he's having the discussion with the kids and the kids playing with the guns. Is it trying to talk about, you know, how violence is represented in, in media and in entertainment and how that impacts impressionable children? Or, you know, is that a thing? You know, are, are um, we? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think if I was to draw anything from this, any kind of exposition about like higher purpose, why it was made, it kind of comes from Ben himself when he, right before he kills that old woman in the high rise, he's talking about all of these bland buildings and the gentrification yeah. and how they were going to do cherry blossom trees and Japanese maples and stuff all up and down the lane, and they didn't. It just made these fucking brick buildings, but the hue of the brick, you know, this, it, it reminds you of wine and like upper crust, but it also reminds you of blood and violence and how yeah. people are just addicted to it. Um, right. Which, you know, of course, then throughout the movie, you're, you're wondering how this film crew got into the situation because they want to capture something violent and hot, you know? I mean, I, I think that just the um, the inflation of media surrounding violent acts, that might be the meaning. Man bites dog. It's like the dog is the feral animal, the beast, but maybe not. Maybe it's the, the human who's the real, you know, primal fucking creature sure right um, yeah i like i like that analysis of it um because for me you know i was just mentioning the whole thing about uh it being a discussion about how violence represented in media and in entertainment how 
it actually has a noticeable effect on people, you know, also doing those things. To me, I feel like that's that's always been kind of a bullshit kind of explanation as mm. to why people do things. I think it's more, yeah, it's environmental. It's it's related to poverty and alienation. And, and yeah, I mean, part of it also is like genetics and a genetic propensity to being a violent person. But I think like those things are brought out of people due to environmental stressors. It's not, it's not because you play video games that are violent and it makes you want to go kill people. Right. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, the other thing about (coughs) media and the exploitation of one's acts. And I think, I think now that I've I've seen all these, you know, new modern documentaries about cyber crime, let's say, and shit like this, where people, they talk about, I just wanted to get famous. Like I I was the thrill of the notoriety is what, what was really driving me for Ben, for this character. I mean, he's motivated by money, but yeah. You would think, I mean, the guy has enough resources and he's industrious enough. He could do all kinds of things, but he gets a rush, a thrill out of it, too. So there's extra benefits, I guess. And it's kind of playing into his like megalomaniac God complex or something. He seems to be, like you said, he's extremely opinionated. He's extremely... um racist and uh, and all of these things um and really who can who can contest him because he gets pissed a little bit about somebody and he fucking blows him away at his birthday party you know <laughs> yeah so which by he, the way right i love that scene also <laughs> yeah it's great it's great um uh, basically all of the scenes of violence are they're done so well like the um I really appreciate the the gun effects that show just how destructive something like a forty five is. <laughs> you right. know, I mean, in movies like contemporary movies, somebody gets shot, they fall over or whatever. But the type of lethality, the damage that something like that does to a human body is really. Uh, it comes across clearly in this movie and all those montage scenes when he's shooting somebody, it's just, it's like a cannon going off. Um, yeah. And that's one thing that kept going through my head when I was watching this movie this time, I was like, I know that Brandon loves this whole aspect of this movie, how true it is to representing the use of firearms violently like this. Yeah. That it represents it accurately. Right. Well, I mean, it, it represents it for what it is. It's a fucking disgusting. It's a nasty act killing somebody. You know, in every scene that he kills somebody like that, the ones that always stuck with me with this movie is um, he suffocates somebody. It's like a quick flash where he puts a bag over somebody's head or he's strangling somebody and their teeth come out of their mouth, their false yeah. teeth. With the old woman's oh, dentures just spill out of her mouth. Yeah, that's yeah. that's like the imagery is just brutal. And then it, it, pushing the bodies into the canal or into the quarry and they just hit rocks and tumble. Um, yeah. 
they just it was done in a really good way to make it like not g- glamorized. I mean, it comes off as a dark comedy or it's billed as a dark comedy, but this movie is gross to me. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I appreciate all of that. Um, the quarry scene. I really like the quarry scene when they, you know, throughout the movie, you see him dumping bodies into the quarry. And then when they finally go there with his like boxing gym coach that he blows away at his birthday party, yeah. he goes, well, you can forget it. And it's all dried up. <laughs> and he yeah. makes the film crew bury all the shit. Like, ugh, that's, that's gross. The overexposure of the camera. You know, you can't really yeah. see what you're, and then when it kind of comes into focus, you just see sheets and plastic all over and the place skulls. and skulls and just mud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, every, everything that I like, I also, there's a lot of things within what I like that I don't like. I mean, obviously the racist and homophobic shit, that sucks. But, that is painting the aura of this person sure. and it paints it so well, you know, he is like such a despicable person, but yeah. from the film crew's point of view, they're like, Oh, well, you know, he's going to pay for all of his filming. Like he's, he's super, you know, friendly and, um, cordial and accommodating or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and that maybe that's, Maybe upon the, maybe that and the fear of whatever he might do gets them to, you know, have a hand in everything. I don't know, but well, that's one thing that I think is done really well with this movie too, in terms of good character writing, character exposition. Is yeah, he's a shitty guy, but he's also charismatic, right? So. You have that kind of you have those weird mixed feelings about him at times. It's like a push and pull, <laughs> right? And sure. that's yeah. how these kinds of predators in the world, whether it be a fucking like severe alt-right extremist kind of person or any kind of radical of any type, that's how yeah. they draw people in because sure they have for, to be charismatic. Right, yeah. For as extreme and militant about their beliefs as they are, they can also be seem fiercely loyal and compassionate or whatever. Right. They they're manipulative. Yeah. They manipulate you into being on their side. Right. Um you know, and keeping you in in an abusive relationship because yeah. that's what the the film crew they're in an abusive codependent relationship. With Ben, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That, that I, I, there's no love lost there for me though, because they put themselves there. <laughs> you know, they could have been fucking doing a story about anything, well, any other thing that it wasn't so incendiary. Well, and that would bring us to talk about. I think the the one scene that we were going to get to, where if anybody was on board with the crew. And they have sympathy. They lose it during that rape scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, and again. And that was, I was yeah, going to say, that's the one where when we were watching it this time, because Charlotte was watching it with me. Um, she had seen it before. And she, she said herself, she, she's like, I can't handle this scene. 
<laughs> yeah, it's brutal. I mean, yeah. everything about the way that this movie was uh, filmed, the production, everything really makes it feel just like you're watching something that you shouldn't be seeing. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the things that really bother people, like child death, elderly death, rape, that's going to be tenfold from any other regular movie when you watch something like this. Yeah, that (laughs) that, that's a, you definitely feel like, well, I don't give a fuck about these guys. I mean, you know, (laughs) uh, you kind of feel that way, I guess, the, the whole time, but. Yeah, right, at that point, that's definitely the uh, crossing of a threshold, right? Well, because it starts off again where you're just you're you're neutral essentially about the camera crew or about the film crew. You're you know you're wondering why would they hitch their wagon to this guy, but their presence isn't pronounced enough for you to think about them, yeah, as characters. And then that's the thing. They gradually, they're gradually um, propelled more into the story to have a relationship with the viewer, basically from the point of, yeah, like you were saying, from when he kills the old woman in the high rise. Yeah. And then you start seeing their personalities and how they feel about this. And then, well, right. Because what does he do? They, they're, He's teaching them, oh, these old people, you know, I never I never met an old codger that was a pauper. I never met right. an old person that wasn't loaded. And then he kills that old woman and he's like, see, here's all the tricks. This is that it's all the same. They, and then they kind of egg him on to go to get one of these big fucking houses in the burbs or whatever. Right. That and, whole speech I love too, where he's talking about why he doesn't go for the big fish. Yeah. Why right. he, he goes for the anchovies or the, the sardines as he calls them. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, because it's like, he's investing in the sardine company. Sure. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't want to, doesn't want to get noticed by the big, the big splash. Yeah. Right. He doesn't go for the whale. He goes for the sardines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, as far, as far as the content of you know the main the meat of the content of the movie i i i can't say enough good about what it's trying to do it's definitely doing what it's intending to do extremely proficiently i mean it feels real it looks real you know the characters everything seems like lived in i mean Yeah. yeah The acting is spectacular. Obviously, the crew is very limited, but and this gets probably into the trivia a little bit that you might bring up. But part of that also was the fact that some of the people, like Ben's family, they weren't acting. <laughs> they weren't acting. They weren't in on it. Yeah, they just were like, "Oh, he's got this film crew that's kind of just doing raw footage. We don't know what it's for." Right. Uh, so those were convincing interactions because they were quote unquote real. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh this movie is I don't I don't I don't know. I'm surprised the amount of people who are aficionados of of uh obscure and 
you know, kind of cult movies. They haven't seen this, actually. Yeah. I mean, I would just attribute that to being it's a Belgian film. Yeah. And you don't but I mean there's hear plenty a lot of- about Belgian cinema as far as yeah. you know you gotta yeah, you gotta dig a little deeper, I suppose. Right. As opposed to something like Cannibal Holocaust, which you know, there's certain regions in film, if you're into horror or exploitation or you're a real cinephile, that even if it's a foreign market or whatever, it's a you know, it's not it's a non-American uh region, they're still very prominent, like Italian films. German you know, German German yeah. films. Exploitation shit. Yeah. So <clears throat> yeah. I would probably attribute it to that. Uh the other thing I want to talk about was um also, when they find the other document, uh, <laughs> the documentary crew, the rival right. documentary the rival crew, crew, right? And they're just <laughs> surprised, yeah. <laughs> like when they find their doppelgangers or whatever, yeah, their, for sure, or their, their bizarro universe counterparts. <laughs> yeah, and that that too. And they find those guys and they shoot those guys, and then later in the movie they come back to the hideout and they're still just just rotting. In the fucking yeah. dust and and fucking tile bits and shit from the ceiling, that's yeah. that's another you know instance of this movie just being real gritty, like the best kind of gross. Yeah, um, there was one other thing I liked, and I had it in my questions, but like after I was watching the movie, I um, I removed it, but I still don't really understand. Maybe you can explain, but I like the fact that Ben wears a, like a cleric's collar, yeah. priest's collar. Mm-hmm. But does it explain why he does that? Uh no, not that I, not that I, I never really thought about it. I guess, but no, um, because he's I mean, wearing it at one it, point there towards the, you know, in the middle of the film, and then he's wearing it at the end when he gets yeah. blown away. Right, and I mean, so. the only thing I could think is maybe it's just more convincing for elderly people. You know, when he goes into that old woman's house, he's like, Oh, yeah. we're film crew. We're talking to elderly yeah. about, ho- uh, you know, loneliness or whatever. Yeah. Maybe he was on some bit where he thought that that would help him out. But yeah, that's good. I really, the, you mentioned it. I really, really like the, this movie has like one of my favorite types of endings, you know, because this yeah. is my favorite type of genre, just about these self implosion kind of stories where it's just that's it i mean you you knew this was coming but <laughs> you just get blown the fuck away that's it yeah Curt- curtains scene <laughs> you know right which that brings me to talk about there at the end we were talking about ben as a complex character right. um and you know how you do see these flashes of charm and humanity in him. Um, not only with like his interaction with his real family mm-hmm. and how, how much they love him and how much his mother's very doting on him, but also there at the very end when he finds Valerie with yeah. the flute right. shoved up her ass, yeah. which that's one of those things where it's like, that's clearly dark comedy. Yeah. Her instrument is like, was her demise, but in the most like crass fucked up ways, 
Yeah. They just rammed this up her ass. Right. And impaled her with it. And then he clearly is very upset where it's like, you're like, oh, well, how does it feel? Like now you're getting a a taste of your own medicine. If you can suffocate a child, (laughs) you can scream at an old person to give him a heart attack. You can rape a a woman and disembowel her in front of her husband. Yeah. But this is this is your breaking point, right? You're you're it's like your your friend or your girlfriend or whatever. Your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, right. And make it, he's definitely a complex character. If he can compartmentalize that other shit, but this yeah. thing tips him tips him over the edge. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, anything else? Uh. Uh, just, just the pacing. I mean, for, you know, the scenes that are kind of boring or whatever, I just see them as character, character building, you know, yeah. scenes in the bars and stuff. There's a lot of, um, dialogue and stuff that helps round out all of the characters. Uh, even if, even if like the film crew doesn't have much to say, their reactions and, you know, rebuttals to the things that are going on between the characters or what Ben's saying to them, it helps to kind of show us as the audience kind of, uh, give us a compass reading on like, how are they going along with this? You know, like I can't remember off the top of my head. It's after the kid, it's after the child murder, but it's before the rapes, right before the rape, the, the dead baby boy, the drinks, and they're yeah. like, ah, I'm not into this, you know. Oh, it was it was after the factory killings, and it's like we're just gonna stop off for for a quick one, and then I gotta dump yeah. the cab or whatever. And they go in with the dead baby drink, and he shows them all how to do it. And they're like on edge, and then they're kind of into it. They're just kind of laughing at his joke about a tear of gin and a river of tonic and all this shit, and then the race for the. You know, olive to reach the top of the drink. And it's like, oh, you know, Margo or whatever the bartender is, another round. Like Ben loses. They're now they're they're all on board. Just yeah. it took that entire 15, 20 minute scene or whatever, 10 minutes seems like it's forever. It took that whole scene to build that type of response from this kind of fearful, intimidated film crew. You know, and that's just one instance of them like being on the kind of being on the fence about what they're doing. And then, well, we're in it. We're just going to keep going. Now we're part of it yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And while you were talking about that, that made me think of another thing was <laughs> like Remy's eulogy as yeah. on camera. Every time one of the crew members die. Yeah. It's essentially the same as they're treated kind of the same as like, you know, in the original Star Trek there would be some, you know, random crew guy that would come to a planet with them. Right. And they would get wiped out. There was just, you know, uh, an expendable collateral and they're kind of interchangeable. But that's kind of almost the way he talks about these guys that he's very tearful about it. But there's no difference between the one guy that gets killed or the other guy. Oh well, yeah. And, and for, for your girlfriend that you just moved in with, who's carrying your child. And like the, right. the thing that I really like about the second time he does that same fucking thing is 
it's ramped up this the, this intensity because all the while that he's giving his little eulogy, there's all that gunfire going on in the background of the audio while he's doing yeah. it. You know, it's like the two, the audio from the one thing is spliced in over the eulogy, but it's like, yeah, this is just it now. The, the next guy come in. I just, I've got this fucking stupid eulogy prepared because <laughs> it's just <laughs> happening yeah. so frequently. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. You want to go on to bad? Yeah, let's move on. I don't have a lot of bad. The Me one neither. thing that I wanted to say was uh, you had talked about this off the top with Krista talking about um, the rewatchability of this movie, essentially. Uh-huh. Uh, if there is a bad, um, and Charlotte said the same thing uh, when we were watching it and she was watching that rape scene. She's like, this is a great movie, but it's one of those movies that I can watch once and never watch again. And I was thinking kind of the same thing. I could rewatch this, but it does have that feeling like you were saying also like Requiem for a dream Yeah, where you're like, this is a great movie, but it is so despairing and so dark I mean, Schindler's it takes List. takes you to such a bad place. Right. Yeah. Come and see. Like, like these movies. Yeah, come and see. They're yeah. important. Those are like important movies. This is just a movie. But right. it's a good movie. But yeah. yes, it totally takes you to a fucking bummer place. Yeah. Big time. Um, for me, the uh, uh, it's a bad just as much as it's a good, but it just takes me to a bummer zone is the fucking, the old woman heart attack, the old frail little old lady. That's kind of excited to get interviewed or whatever. Right. She kind of like opens up. Oh no, I'm good on camera. This happened to me when I was younger. We, you know, whatever. She was an actress. And then he just screams in her ear and just like her, her reaction, her twitching, and he's like callously just brushes her arm off. Oh yeah, she's fading fast now. Keeps talking. Just like, oh God, that treatment of just this helpless, you know, old person. Like obviously the child murder is bad too, but Well, also with the child murder, when they walk in and he hits the mother on the head so hard that she just goes into a seizure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i, I mean again the, there's just some really gruesome portrayals of murder that's the thing <laughs> it's like this movie sticks with you kind of like yeah. if you were ever to have seen like a live leak video you know of a cartel beheading or a fucking anything fucked up like that it's like i can i can think about this movie and immediately in my brain see strangled old person teeth falling out of their fucking head yeah you know right for me the big bummer i mean the rape scene's bad the old woman really is a bummer to me (laughs) right but that's Uh, the thing that we have that i think we have to distinguish as opposed to other bads when we're talking about movies like technical bads or things that we think could be better this is not the case. It's just a yeah. bad because they make us feel bad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's it is it is uh, crucial to this movie to emphasize yeah. the point of 
this character. It really, yeah. really emphasizes the character. I wouldn't trade out any of these scenes, but they are a fucking bummer. Um, like you're saying, also like with his dialogue that when he's talking about when he kills the the black night guardsman, yeah, night watchman, right. and he's just really laying it on thick. <laughs> well, in, in with how he's just describing that kid, yeah, <laughs> and just how like fluent it comes out of his mouth, it definitely makes it feel authentic. But this dude is a dyed in the wool racist piece of shit. You yeah. know, he just talks about it so matter of fact, right? And I mean, why why wouldn't these guys listen or at least give them a platform because they're fearful for their lives at this point? Yeah. You know, as he's dumping that- mortar onto somebody's hand in the wall. <laughs> I don't right. know if you noticed that, but that's what he's doing there is he's burying a person in the wall and yeah. a night watchman comes up. Well, the thing with the night watchman, too, is that not only does he murder him, but he's also uh, he further um, defiles, his, uh, exploits, defiles him by pulling his pants down to right. look at his dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the kind of thing where it's like you definitely don't want to watch this movie with certain people. You got to sure. you'd yeah. have to watch this in a in a. Uh, and a safe a, space. A safe space. Yeah. An audience to, <laughs> in, in which you know, you know, kind of the uh, values and sensibilities of the people around you. Sure. Yeah. Um, another bad for me is just Ben's shitty poetry. I mean, <laughs> it it plays into his character. It shows him as thinking that he's like some high-minded fucking connoisseur of the arts, but it sucks. Yeah. I hate it. Um, right. And, and like I said, I think I said this up top, my goods are also my bads. Ben himself. I mean, he just sucks. He's a fucking horrible, shitty, despicable person. Um, the bar scenes, you know, little slow, lots of talk about art and poetry which yeah. I don't give a fuck about it coming from a, you know, racist, homophobe, suffocator of children, but it builds the character. So yeah, those are my bads. Um, they're not really bads, I guess, like we already said, but yeah. Annoyances. Uh, yeah. Right. I, I got questions. Um, okay. I only have one, so I'm going to just going to rattle off. Sure. my. <laughs> What it's more of like a speculative, like backstory question, but uh, what do you suppose is or was Ben's relationship with Jenny, the older blonde, oh, like I, former like bombshell yeah. lady? Yeah, I think he's boffing her. I think that uh, she's a pros, obviously, but yeah. um, because you know, when she picks up the phone, she goes, like, Oh, sorry, you know, I'm still working. Yeah. Like suggests that Ben is a client, but right. a, a closer than most John's <laughs> type of client, maybe. Well, because as he established, she's known her for like a long time. Yeah. That's when I met her. Yeah. And like he points out right. the pictures and she's like a pinup girl. Yeah. Uh yeah, that that leads me to another question of like uh 
what is his relationship with um I'm I'm drawing a blank on her name. Not Valerie. Valerie. Not Valerie. The oh. other woman. She goes, when I met her, she was like 10. You know, she was uh, like real cute, you know, whatever skirt. He like mentions how she's dressed. He's like, I was 17 yeah. or 18. Like, do you think he's like also a pedophile, perhaps? Well, because there is that there's that scene also where they're in the car. Yeah. And the little girl walks by. Right. He makes that really that. crass comment. Really crass. He's talking about, oh, in 10 years, she'll be sucking cock. Right. Like her Just mother. Like her mom. Right. Yeah. But then it's so funny because it goes from that, which is deplorable and foul, to then he's asking all the guys in the crew if they're gay. Right. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of them in your in, in your trade. He's yeah. yeah. Right. <sighs> um yeah with Jenny I think that he pays her I think he's John essentially Yeah yeah I mean that's what I figured I I just didn't know if he still was like maybe it was a thing where he was a regular client of hers and then maybe they just got to be friends Yeah <laughs> or, or I don't know yeah maybe he's still Banging, banging old bag tits. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that question kind of ties in with a bunch of my questions. So, but I'm going to kind of start in chronological order. Um, How did the film crew get hooked up with this guy? You know, I mean, like, did they kind of did they get a line that this guy was doing these murders in this town? You know, sure. and because there's a when he breaks out of prison, they go, he goes, meet me where we first met. And it seems like it's way out in a deserted fucking road out by an airport. You can hear a plane flying over or something. So, like, how did he come on with this dude? That that takes some serious like n- sand. You know, it takes some nerve to meet a potential career killer. <laughs> to yeah. have to like uh uh suggest this idea for a documentary, right? Yeah. Um my next question in the factory, Ben loses his ID bracelet and he says, uh, you know, they said, Oh, well, is that a stressor? And he goes, Well, it was a you know, it was a pain to steal. Right. But then he also says in that same bit, he says uh, it cost a small fortune. I bought it with my dad. Like, so did he steal it? Did he buy it? Yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I didn't understand that. I didn't get that. Um, ben says when Remy kicks a guy in the factory, he goes, stop it, kid. You start like that, and it becomes a habit. That's revenge. Stop it. And he's like trying to console him for shooting Patrick, the sound guy. Right. What that's revenge? You start in like that and becomes a habit. What does it fucking matter? Like what revenge is probably the most laudable reason to murder somebody. <laughs> I think most people <laughs> would say instead of just yeah. killing people for money because you're fucking too good to get a real job. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's again tying into the whole idea that he thinks he's much smarter than he really is. Yeah, and it's probably like an you know, iron. He thinks he's a. Yeah, he thinks he's he's a philosopher. Yeah. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, when he's trying to console his friends, it's like, it's ironic. And I guess maybe that comes off as comedic. Like, seriously, you're trying to give advice? You're fucking, you just screamed at an old woman and gave her a heart attack. Um, let's see. How does Ben get away with such blatant murders? Like in broad daylight, he's shooting people in the face on the street. Well, again, if there's a discussion this movie's trying to have, or discussions, that would be one of them that it's just, we're desensitized, or we just don't, there's so much tragedy and murder and bad shit happening on a regular basis that, you know, you can get away with things like that um, in broad daylight. <laughs> right. Okay. Maybe. Fine. But, you know, forensics existed in 92. I mean, maybe not. That certainly wasn't what it is in the last 20 years or right. 10 years. But yeah. fingerprints, all this kind of shit. There are many cases in this movie where he, like when they go into the big house in the suburbs, the whole house gets turned over. They're looking for, you know, whatever, money, jewelry. And the, and the, and the guys are like, oh, well, they got credit cards. Well, you might as well call the cops right now. It's like, yeah, but what about all the trace evidence? What about all the fingerprints and the fucking everything else that would go along with it? How, how, I mean, this dude has killed, if you look at that quarry, it looks like hundreds of people. Yeah, I mean, has this all happened in the same town? Does he move yeah, around? Again, I think that's because that's such a glaring oversight. You would think. I think it's trying. They're trying to say something about that. It's 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 not it's not like a plot hole. It's like yeah, this guy can get away with this because what does it say about especially what does it say about like let's say someone like Ben who is this bigoted uh conceited white guy yeah oh uh, that they can get away with murder yeah and they do you know right. that's that's i think that might be one of the themes they're trying to say is well and I, guys like this get away with murder all the time not necessarily yeah. like actual literal literal murder but they get away with figurative murder they get away with bad shit all the time there's plenty of evidence that would implicate them but they Keep going along. Sure. And and you know. as in all instances, you know, the people around him like him. They think he's a likable guy. Right. Uh, but and, that could be out of fear or whatever. Like, like you're saying, yeah. it's a parallel to real world shit. Sure. It's a parallel to like wide. That's that's pretty much every politician. Sure. You know, yeah. <laughs> a charismatic leader who's an absolute deplorable shitty human <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <sighs> so um prior to the i think he's the boxing trainer that gets blown away at the birthday party so that's what i'm yeah. calling him prior to the boxing trainer's murder everyone around ben just knows he's a murderer murderer and like is okay with it right well that's the thing with the murderer at the the party it's I had this in my good also. It's just funny how he shoots that guy and the other people, they have 
no reaction to it whatsoever, or they're so, um, it's not a subdued reaction. It's such a, uh, controlled reaction. And it's either, yeah, out of fear yeah. or they're just like, Oh, well that's just how he is. Right. Well, <laughs> like know? Jenny, Jenny, she has just gore smeared on yeah. her face, just fucking right. brain matter and blood on her <laughs> face. And she gives yeah. him the gift. She asks about the cake. Oh, it's really good. Like, don't bother <laughs> trying to wipe the shit off. Just pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. And then she goes, you know, like, uh, you know, you're you're welcome, sir, or whatever. You know, she's like, yeah. I'm moved. And then he goes, Oh yeah, by the by the fucking gift by the bird. She's like, Yeah. Yeah. But no, she's trying to show that she's subservient to this dude. But even right. before that scene, you know, he mentions when we first meet Jenny in the movie that, uh, that she was ousted from her home through some gentrification remodeling project of her neighborhood she lived in forever. And so Ben yeah. had a talk with the foreman or whatever, you know, and alludes to the fact that He's fucking dead. He killed him. Yeah. And there's something similar with um, Valerie. Some some yeah. some shit about Valerie. But it's like, yeah, this dude is a fucking murderer. Everybody knows that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they never heard of like silent witness. <laughs> you know, does that not exist in Belgium? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. Last question. When the gang kills the rival film crew and right before it, they pick up the camera and like, Remy, Andre, look at this fancy hi-fi camera. And like it's video. We're doing film. And he just drops it. Does he just leave <laughs> it there? I mean, again, it's just like this callous disregard for covering up. He's so worried about covering up the bodies and getting rid of the bodies and ballasting bodies and shit. But he just leaves these bodies in this house which is fine. It's his hideout or whatever, but this incriminating film evidence that he's on because they were shooting the film right before they killed him, killed the yeah. other crew or whatever, just leaves it there. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it all I think, basically plays into the same uh, theme that with his, with as careful as this person is with his quote unquote trade, his craft, he's yeah. completely fucking, oblivious to these things because he's living in this world that he could just get away with shit. I think it's also, it could be a commentary on just, uh, the process of policing and forensics in general is, yeah, I mean, there's always, you know, people touting how advanced forensic science is and how precise it is. But you hear time and time again about cases being botched, or cases not being thoroughly examined, or there's like obvious clues to who is actually, you know, should be implicated in a crime and mm -hmm. they're just overlooked. Like, I know you're interested in the Manson murders. Yeah. That's a prime example of one where the LA police department had so much evidence that Manson and his family were up to something and they completely fucking ignored it, <laughs> you right. know? And so 
maybe that's another thing that's trying to say is, you know, even with all the evidence there and all the abilities and all the wherewithal and all the resources, you know, that sometimes these things, they just, they, uh, they slip through the cracks somehow. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. Well, it's kind of funny or, too. Like, uh, Belgian people are, I think widely regaled as very friendly and peaceful. <laughs> so for maybe sure. that's the, maybe that was the attempt is to make the most obscene thing they possibly could make sure. to, to yeah. illustrate, you know, just how rotten and horrible people can be. I, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, that's my question. I mean, that's I, what I got. I think, um, that's another thing that I feel like we've had discussions about. Um, I know we've had like this talk about what was it? <sighs> there was that murderer in Norway years ago, uh, like the the neo Nazi. Right, there was like that, seventy yeah, deaths or something. Yeah, that just you know murdered this payload of people. And people are trying to, you know, wrap their minds around it, you know, with Norway being, you know, having this advanced, like, you know, social structure in a lot of ways or social safety net and how everybody's more or less taken care of. And, you know, there's a certain homogeneity to it. And, and still there's these violent acts that happen. Right. You know, so I don't know. Bigger, bigger questions to discuss at another time. Sure. All right. Uh, so let's move on to uh, the awards and categories section. What do you say? Yeah, sounds great. All right. Starting with quotes. What uh, quotes do you got? <laughs> I shit for nights. I shit for days. I shit all over. I shit always. The song yeah, that that, that old man sings. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, I also have another shit related quote. Not that I'm like into the caca or anything. It just happens <laughs> to be when, uh, Ben is washing, uh, Valerie's flute. That was, she was impaled. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I had she that was one. Sodomized with her flute. She says, uh, one of the film critics says water is not good for flutes. And then he responds, you think shit's good for scales? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another one that I saw on IMDb that, I, I mean, it, uh, it's it's dark, it's fucked, uh, but it's I guess part of the dark humor is when he's talking about, uh, oh, I buried two Arabs in a wall over there, facing Mecca, of course. It's like. Oh my god, this fucking guy. Yeah. Um the one that we kind of talked about earlier, we were talking about like why he chooses his victims the way he does. I wanted to quote that one where he says, If you kill a whale, you get green peas and Jacques Cousteau on your back. Wipe out sardines and you get a canning subsidy. That's that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's he's pretty witty with his fucking yeah. annoying as he can be. Um, um, yeah. Got any others? Uh, they're just like so off color. (laughs) Fucked. 
Nah. All right. The Derek Zoolander Award for the biggest idiot in the movie. The crew? Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> yeah, re- real boner move getting wrapped up with this fucking guy. Uh, the Joseph and the Tech Color Dreamcoat Award for best wardrobe and makeup. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if there's anybody. I mean, oh, I, I got it. And actually, I took a picture of this earlier to help okay. support my point. I'm going to send it over to you right now. Uh, I, oh, okay. I, I I said Ben's lawyer um, when yeah. when he goes to jail or whatever. Yeah. It, it actually, if you shaved and had this fucking Jerry curl do, you kind of look like him. <laughs> Did you get him? No, but I know what you're talking about like because I had to think about it for a second when they when they show that yeah that guy <laughs> <laughs> he's looking pretty fucking yeah. suave you know he's looking pretty slick uh, he does not look like a lawyer and it's funny um, he looks like a magician like, or something or like he should be like in a psych rock band or something <laughs> yeah or or like an ensemble or an orchestra or some shit um but I had to like think about it because I'm like. What is he wearing? What is that outfit? Is he wearing a bib? But it's obvious that over there, yeah, I don't know about so much now, but at the time, you know, they had more official, um, I guess, judicial wardrobes. Like, mm-hmm. not only do the judges wear robes, but also the lawyers, yeah, whatever, the magistrates or whatever, also have to wear what would be considered like a. Again, more cleric outfits. They right. look clerical. So, but yeah, that's a good one. Um, the Cosmo Kramer Award for most likely to appear in a Seinfeld episode. Uh, I mean, I, I said Ben. I could see, yeah, Ben. He would be Kramer's buddy. He'd be Kramer's buddy that they find out later is actually a fucking killer or something, but maybe not to the extreme that we know Ben to be. <laughs> Sure. Just kind of allude to that guy's a nut. Yeah. Um, the Danny Trejo Award for character most likely to have a spinoff. What did you have? Uh, I put Jenny. You know, uh, bombshell Jenny, trick. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd like to. I'd like to know more about her. I could see, you know, her having a story of how she got from where she was in those pictures to where she is now. Covered in fucking yeah. some doofus comb over doofus's brains. <laughs> yeah, I had the same thought. Uh, would like to get more backstory on Jenny. Mm-hmm. Um, body count. I found uh, somewhere that said forty five. Oh yeah, that includes that includes. Uh, there's a scene where uh, what is it like a a gopher gets huh. impaled. <laughs> okay. So, well, 45. On-screen deaths of humans, I counted 42. 42. Um there's 13 in that first montage. Yeah. That gun violence montage and then there's another montage that goes quick. There's about 5. Yeah, I mean, they stack up. You know, the film crew, yeah. the rival film crew, the child, it, yeah, there's a lot. But that's, yeah, that's the thing with this movie, as opposed to some movies that we watch where it's like, it's kind of indeterminate because there's so much death. You can actually frame by frame kind of stop 
Sure. Where each death is. Yeah. Um, right. On screen deaths. I mean, if you were to count what we know that he's, you know, his pedigree and such over the course of five years and what you see in the quarry, it's undeterminable. But from what right. people we actually see murdered. Yeah. It's just south of 50 fucking murders. And correct me if I'm wrong. I, I feel like this is like an obvious thing, but I just want to clarify. It is also saying and implying at the end when he says, you know, with his mom, it was a broom that his mother got murdered. I counted her. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's kind it of, is. it's kind of a weird scene because when you're seeing from inside the car, you hear a, like, it sounds like a gunshot inside. Yeah. I don't know if you notice that. And then they go up and he comes out with a broom and all that. But yeah. Yeah. That is his his mother got uh the old broomstick up the ass, apparently. That old chestnut. <laughs> yeah, that old song. That old song from the sea. <laughs> um all right, the wiki wormhole. So we already kind of talked about this, but uh I wanted to mention again, you know, there was the whole uh the raw footage. Uh, or at least his family thinking that the, they were filming raw footage. They had no idea what was going on. And um, Ben's mother was shocked to see uh, Ben behind bars. Right. When she came, home, came to visit him. <laughs> yeah, that that's pretty good. His grandparents and his family just thought it was a film crew just legitimately following him around. <laughs> right. Right. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say this one. This is interesting to me. Um, the filmmakers were very nervous while shooting the rape scene. The actress who played the rape victim was very supportive of the cause of the film. However, let the filmmakers do their thing. This gave comfort to the crew, especially Remy Belvaux, who was very shy about his nude scene. And again, it's just goes back to like, what is what? What were they trying to say with how this did they movie? sell this well, movie? Right. Yeah, what was she supportive of? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and maybe, <laughs> maybe, right, maybe that disgust on Remy's face when he, like, finishes and walks away, gets out of his, you know, place in line on this fucking gang rape, maybe that disgust <laughs> yeah. was actual disgust because he was embarrassed of being naked. Not yeah, maybe. for what they just portrayed, but just for being naked. <laughs> like, fuck. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So this is this is funny to me just because of the irony. Uh, due to the budget problems, it took filmmakers over a year to complete the film. The company ran out of money several times and shooting had to be postponed until more could be raised. A lot of friends and family of the filmmakers contributed to the film behi- both behind and in front of the camera, which is yeah. just kind of funny because in the story that actually is happening, Ben is – giving them money for film or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which he's accredited as one of the directors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Ben's cocktail, Petit Gregory, is a reference to a murder case in France that involved the killing of a four-year-old uh, Gregory who was found floating in a river with his hands and legs tied, much like the olive in the cocktail that is the sugar cube, that's tied to the sugar cube. The murder case was covered yeah. uh, very thoroughly by the media. Um, this is a phenom- phenomenon that the movie deals with. Uh, yeah. Um, 
that that's actually kind of funny too because um I had also read it it's a sub category of the trivia in the goofs. I didn't notice this before, but at the beginning of the movie, Benoit he gives that ratio for four times the weight of a child's body to ballast it. And then when they talk yeah. about that dead baby drink, he gives that quick yeah. ratio again. And somebody cries out two two times. He's like, correct. <laughs> so it's like Yeah. The thing with that though is like I didn't necessarily con- uh I didn't attribute that as a goof. I attributed to that he was drunk. He's drunk, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean everything that's in that goose category, I, I kind of accredit that to it was intentional. Like the woman yeah. who's blinking after she's dead. Well, that's not uncommon. Yeah. I mean, people have right. reactionary impulses as they're dying all the time. Right. Yeah. That's why they have they, a medical, a forensic, like a coroner come to fucking crime scenes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think some of those were false goofs. Right. Exactly. So anything else? Uh, let's see that 42 deaths, maybe 40. No, that's about it. Fantastic. All right. So, time to rate the movie, give it an iconography, and put it on the clock. What kind of iconography do you give this? Uh, I, I don't know. Out of five falsies falling out of a strangled old woman's mouth, uh, <laughs> out of five fucking bodies, you know, carelessly dumped in a quarry, um, yeah. out of five suffocated children. <laughs> Take your pick. Yeah. There's all kinds of out heinous. Of five, yeah, out of five women having epileptic fits after uh, blunt head trauma. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe that's it. After five, yeah, out of five blunt head traumatic traumatic tremors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so out of five, I'd give this one a four. Um, I do like this movie a lot, uh, and it's more, it's not the movie's fault. I'm just really trying to keep from giving like close to or perfect scores for things. Sure. Unless it's like something that I'm really, you know, I've spent a lot of time with. Right. I haven't spent enough time with this movie to be giving it those type of scores. Yeah. But I do like it a lot. Right. So I'm going to say four. Yeah, that that seems to be uh, apt for viewing it twice somewhat recently. I, I have seen this movie a lot, innumerable times. Um, yeah. And it recently came on HBO, which I have. Uh, so I watched it somewhat recently before this viewing. And um, yeah. I'm pretty blown away by this movie. I think I'm going to give it four and a half traumatic blunt force tremors. So it's like four full women writhing and and then a child and then fits. like a child size. Yeah. Or I was going to say just like like the bottom half, like the the torso. Yeah. Down. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's right. Uh, yeah, this movie stands up for what it is. You know, I mean, it's yeah for some people, uh, and and I. Totally understand why this is a one watch, one and done movie. But yeah, its intention, I think, from what I think its intention is, was executed almost flawlessly. 
Yeah, the thing with it being kind of a one-and-done movie, it, in this sense, it's one of those things where it works, obviously, in its favor. Right. Because it's, it, it, it's to that great of an effect, the, uh, the intended response that it gets from the viewer. Sure. It's repulsive. Uh, it, yeah, exactly. Um, as far as this being a midnight movie, yes, it is because there's so much. I mean, there's it's so graphic and it's so disturbing and repugnant and repulsive. <laughs> this is like a yeah, way past the midnight. Yeah, this is like this is something that I think when I first watched this, I watched it at like three in the morning with a bunch of fucking weirdos that were kind of, you know, like looking around, making sure they were talking to the right person. Like, hey, do you want to watch right. this movie kind of shit? Yeah. I think this is yeah, way it's like, it's the like, fuck into the early, early hours kind of movie. Yeah, that makes total sense and seems appropriate. And also it's because, like you were saying, they're – this movie is in that category of of being one of those like talked about in hushed tones, yeah. like you know, like um, like it's almost like you're you're uh, talking about a snuff film, yeah, you know, right? <laughs> like Cannibal Holocaust, like Mermaid in a Manhole, mm-hmm. like you know those infamous movies. Sure. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that totally makes sense to me. Um. All right, so continuing with our theme of imp- self-implosion, uh, it's my pick. And I feel like my pick is probably also going to be one of your picks. So I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your I, dick dog. I love here. these fucking movies, man. I, I can pick a million uh, of them. Uh, I just assumed that this movie was going to come up within this discussion. So for next time... And hopefully I'm not sick still. Uh, we will be talking about Abel Ferreira's Bad Lieutenant. Oh, you know it, baby. <laughs> you fucking know it. You ever feel like you have like this psychic feeling going on and, and then yeah. and the vibrations are proven correct? I have that yeah. feeling of jubilee right now. I, I'm <laughs> so glad you said that. I love this movie. So do I, uh, and it's one that's been sitting here on the list for a while. So it was just, you know, waiting, biding its time to manifest into this show. Show me how you suck Uh, a cock. (laughs) Yeah. If there, really, if there is any movie that that is suitable for this category that also fits within our wheelhouse, because we talked about, you know, one of the movies that would fit this category perfectly is is Taxi Driver, yeah. which is like one of my favorite movies sure. of all time. Yep. But it it exceeds the uh you know the 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 focus of this uh, podcast in certain ways. It's a movie that I would love to discuss. Sure, but again, it's it's not really cult. It's not really it doesn't fit in our criteria so much. Right. It's 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 one of those movies that it's a it's a it's a very celebrated movie. Bad Lieutenant, however, is kind of like a, <laughs> uh, uh, a a battered stepchild that was put in a closet and fed, you know, ruffles under the door for fucking years or something. It's, yeah. I mean, 
critically, I think that it has a claim, but it is very much, sure. I think, still cult in ways. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. I'm excited. So am I. Um, yeah, for next time, Bad Lieutenant. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for our intro music. Our outro music is provided by whom? Uh, by Seattle Lokes Night Feeder. Uh, the song is I'm a Letdown off of their debut LP, Cut All of Your Face Off. Which is a, a real ripper. It, uh, speaking of cutting. Yeah. It, speaking of cutting. Yeah, as, as Marty McFly might say, it really cooks. <laughs> it really does cook. Uh, that's great. Uh, if you want to drop us an email, you can at midnightflixpot at gmail.com, which I stated at the top of the show. And you can follow us on the socials at Midnight Flix Podcast. Uh, signing off for Cinema. Cinema! This is Adam Walker. And we'll see you next time. When you surely have a fucking cock. <laughs> <laughs>